What's up, everybody? Iron Tamer Dave Whitley here again with another episode of the Advancing Man Project show. This time I'm flying solo. And the subject today centers around being a dad, being a parent. And it has to do with some brain development and it has to do with the attribute of leadership. See, part of our job description as dads, and this is true for, for all parents, but I'm talking to you today, dad, is to be a leader for our family and for our children. And there are two kinds of leadership. Now, a lot of what I'm going to talk about is drawn from uh, Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. In there, I forget which chapter it's in, he talks about attributes and qualities that make a good leader. And he talks about um, attributes and qualities that almost guarantee failure as a leader. And he's talking in terms of building a business or entrepreneurial realms, that sort of stuff. But when I was reading the book, I thought, hmm, this really does apply to the idea, the concept of being a leader for my son or for my children. And so um, I took that information and I sort of played with it and reinterpreted it. And here we go. So the first thing that I want to do is talk about kids and especially very young kids um, and their brain development. See, they don't act out or quote unquote misbehave because they are bad or they're bad kids or because they're deliberately trying to be disrespectful or trying to get under our skin or something like that. They do it because they're having emotions that they don't know how to regulate. And they're looking to us for leadership, which means guidance and support. And so when you have a four or five-year-old kid or younger, or even a little bit older than that, who is falling down, having a tantrum and not able to control their emotions, that is developmentally appropriate. And if you think that your child is being annoying or is being uh, irritating, they're not. They are being a child. You are being annoyed and you are being irritated. And that is a choice that you can make to either continue to be annoyed and irritated or angry or whatever towards a child who is expressing himself developmentally in an appropriate way. And you can be there to lead and guide, or you can you know, try to flex your muscles on him and shut him down. Um, the prefrontal cortex, which is um, specifically the, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, I did some research on this, is the part of the brain that's involved in logic and reasoning. And it's responsible for higher cognitive functions like planning, problem solving, decision making, um, working memory, things that are crucial for logical and reasoning, uh, logical thinking and reasoning, right? It helps us analyze information, weigh different options, make rational decisions and all that based on available data. Little kids do not have this. It is not developed in them. So to ex and, and it doesn't fully develop in humans until we're well into our 20s. So to expect a kid who's four or five years old to be able to logically reason their way through something that that a 30 or 40 year old uh, adult can reason their way through is like expecting a six month old kid, a six month old baby to get up and run a sprint for 100 meters. It's they just physically do not have the capability of doing it. Once you understand that and you're able to communicate, uh, you're, you're able to start thinking in terms of how can I communicate in a way that they will receive the information rather than how can I impose my will upon them? That's where this leadership thing comes into. There's these two types of leaders, right? There is leading by force, which is yelling, threatening, coercion, manipulation, intimidation, punishment, hitting a kid. Um, this is parenting from a place of pure ignorance of how the brain developments. And it's, and it's, from a place of desperation, I don't know what to do. And ultimately, it's from a place of powerlessness because I don't feel like there's anything I can do. So I will do the only thing that I know to do, which is what was done to me or what I've what I've been told is to do, and that is to assert my dominance over this 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 little child who's looking to me for love and wisdom and guidance and 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 safety, right? So 
If they're looking to us for leadership, which means guidance and support, they need us to be there to support them when they're having a hard time. He's not a bad kid. He's a good kid having a bad time or yeah, some, I'm paraphrasing Dr. Becky Kennedy when I say that. So the, the kid's not giving you a hard time. He is having a hard time. That's what that's the 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 almost word for word quote that I got from that. But um, they they need us to be there and support them. And if the best response that we can come up with is based in intimidation and fear and violence, you're dropping the ball. You're missing the point, right? If you did this, so I'm going to punish you to teach you a lesson. That's not being a leader. It's not. It's not being a, a loving dad. It's not even being a man, in my opinion. And the quote-unquote lesson that they're learning from you, their dad, is that when they need you the most to be there for them, when they need your guidance and your support and your love and your compassion the most, is the time that they can count on you the absolute least. It's desperate. Like I said, it's powerless. And it is you being a bully to the person who loves and trusts you the most, who depends on you the most, and who looks to you... Number one, for support, guidance, help, and yes, love. That is what leading by force winds up doing. Now, let's look at the flip side of that. Uh, needless to say, I don't recommend that. And I will go on record as saying that if you're a grown man and you hit, because spanking is hitting, and you hit a young child, a three, four, five-year-old child, you're just a pussy. You're a bitch. And, and I said it. And there you go. Even if the kid is older, like I don't think that, that there is any justifiable reason ever to hit a child ever. That's where I'm sitting right now. And if anyone wants to argue that point, please feel free to come on the show. We'll talk about it. Now, having said all that and gotten that out of the way, let's talk about leading by example. Leading by example is not just about what you say. It's about what you do. And it's about how you connect with them. And we do that by acknowledging and validating their emotions. And the only way we can do that is to learn to regulate our own emotions and to express those emotions in a healthy way so that the child can model us and experience what it means um, to, to see a leader handle a difficult situation well in a healthy way and come out on the other side of it. We have to create a positive environment focused on learning. We have to encourage them and we have to take responsibility for our successes and also for our failures. Now, a good, uh, and, and, and we all mess up. We all drop the ball. We all lose our temper. I, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect like that. I'm saying that in those moments, you have a decision to make, and that decision cannot be made in the moment. The best way to do this is to have the decision made ahead of time by writing it into your internal code and programming your subconscious mind, your internal code of how you're going to operate day to day with when this sort of situation arises, this is my response, rather than waiting for the situation to arise and just reacting emotionally with however you feel. Um, a good leader will bring out the best in people. Think about that for a minute. If we're looking at the business world or or uh, anywhere like that, a good leader brings out the best. He helps them learn and develop new skills before they need them. Um, he helps them to um, learn and develop these skills so that eventually those skills can be put into place without the leader having to be there to supervise it. That is parenting from a place of power. That is being a strong dad. So you're a grown up. It's time to own up, right? And I can hear it already. I, I get this sort of argument, this sort of comments in, in Facebook groups and other social media places when I start talking about this stuff. Well, how's the kid going to learn how to be disciplined? How's he going to learn right from wrong? Well, you cannot beat someone 
into knowing the difference between right and wrong. You can't hit someone or yell at someone or shame someone or shut someone down or ignore someone. My cat's going crazy over there right now and, and teach them the difference between right and wrong. It's just not how the brain operates. Um, if we follow that to its logical conclusion, then we would be saying that the prisons are full of people who weren't beaten often or severely enough. And that's why they turned out bad. It just doesn't make any damn sense, right? So I want to talk about words. If you know me, you know that I'm I'm a, a big believer in getting very clear on the definitions of the words that I use, especially if they're important words covering important subjects. And discipline is a very important word. Um, discipline and punishment are often used interchangeably. I think because discipline sounds more noble. Um, I'm disciplining my kid by you know punishing them in some way, but and punishment doesn't sound that noble. And I think that that people do that so that they can feel better about what they're doing because I think inherently we all know that love and guidance and support and compassion and empathy are the characteristics that we ought to model for our kids to get them to become loving, compassionate, morally upright citizens, right? Um, so discipline and punishment often used interchangeably when we're talking about raising kids, but they're not synonymous terms. Discipline, and, and like any word, these words have varying meanings and and they have various levels of complexity to them. Like I was talking to um, a client of mine earlier today about this very subject, and we were talking about um, an example that I used was the word run. If I just say the word run, something comes into your mind about what that means. And it could mean that we're going to go really fast on foot. It could mean that I put the key into my vehicle and turned it and it started and now it's running. Um, it could also be someone who's messed up their pantyhose. Like the word run has a lot of different meanings. And so how we use it in context matters. So the um, there are varying, um, varying different definitions, vary us different definitions for discipline. But the one that I choose to use is um, it comes from the Latin root word of discipline, disciplina which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, but I don't care. And it means instruction and training. Um, it's derived from the root word of desire, uh, which means to learn. And this is also the root of the word disciple. So a disciple follows someone. A disciple is someone who has committed themselves to learning a way. Like if you're a, a disciple of strength, you know, then you learn a particular um, um, discipline of strength, right? If you are a disciple of martial arts, you earn a particular, you learn a particular martial arts discipline. And so that's the definition that I choose to use. And when I discipline my son, I take it very seriously that I am guiding him and I am supporting him. Notice I didn't say anything about punishment or even correction or even redirection. Now, redirection comes into place as I'm teaching him how to do things. Correction do it this way, not that way will come into place. Um, but I do not punish my son. I don't hit him. I don't send him to, to sit by himself and think about what he's done because that's abandoning him when he needs me the most. So think about it. Why do disciples follow a particular teacher, whether it's in martial arts or religion or whatever, right? Do they do it out of fear and humiliation? You scare me so much and you have terrorized me so much that I'm, I'm committing myself to following you. No, no, they don't. They do it out of love and trust and out of a desire to learn what this person has. So think about this. When was the last time you were humiliated? What did you actually learn from that? Um, and the person who did it, did you like that person or trust them more or change your behavior accordingly because you learned how to act differently in, in, 
in um in in being humiliated I'm, I'm tripping up over my words there's a little kid with the stutter showing up again right um did you did you change your behavior when someone humili humiliated you because you wanted to do what they did or did you just learn to survive being around that person i think the answer is pretty obvious there right <clears throat> so what are the actual attributes of being a leader if we are going to take this seriously and learn how to how to lead as a father um like I said earlier, I took from I point over there because the book's laying right there from Napoleon Hill's book, Think and Grow Rich. I took the major attributes of successful leaders and the major causes of failures for leaders, and I reworked them to be more specific toward the job and the honor of being a father. Um, and there are 11 um, um, attributes of successful leaders or dads, and there are 10 major causes of failure. And we're going to go through those real quick. And I'll probably make some more deep dive stuff as we go along. I wanted to keep this video pretty short, but I'm just going to kind of list them out and say a word or two about each one of them now to get you thinking about it. And by all means, if you have questions about this, if you have comments about this, put it in the comments below. Contact me in any of the places that you know how to contact me, social media. I'm I'm pretty easy to find. Um, yeah. So major attributes of a successful leader as a father. And these are in no particular order, but I'm, I'm so I'm just going to go with it from that. The first one is unwavering courage. We have to be brave. Courage simply means I'm afraid and I do it anyway, or I've experienced fear and I act anyway. That is an, an attribute of discipline. Courage is an attribute of discipline. Like I said earlier, if I have predetermined how I'm going to respond to a situation and that situation's scary and I act based on my predetermined decision in spite of or in the face of that fear, that is an exhibition of courage. And dads have to have that. We absolutely have to, because sometimes when a kid's flailing all over the place and we don't know how to handle it, it can be outright terrifying. But if I planned ahead of time how I'm going to react, or I'm sorry, how I'm going to respond rather than react in the moment, it makes it much easier to follow through. <clears throat> Second attribute, self-control. I have had conversations with men who get angry at their kids or get annoyed by their kids or get irritated with their kids, particularly little kids, and they impose punishment or they impose, um, uh, they hit their kids, spank their kids, whatever, because the kid did something that made them angry that just happened to be a violation of the rules. Or you could look at it the other way. It could be a violation of whatever rules have been laid down and it made them angry. And had they not been angry, then they would not have acted the way that they did. So having self-control means that my son, I'll use my own example, my son is five years old and he's joyful a lot of the time and he does a lot of other five-year-old stuff a lot of the time too. Things that I am still dealing with in my ability to be able to handle from a, from a firm and powerful way. Now, do I get upset? Do I get frustrated? Do I get stressed out? Yes, I do. The self-control aspect comes in recognizing that's where he is developmentally. I am the grown-up in this situation. I am the one who's established a boundary, and it is up to me to keep the promise to myself to be disciplined in how I respond to him so that I can show up in a way that no matter what is going to be loving and supporting to him. Um, <clears throat> the third attribute on this list is a keen sense of fairness. Yelling out, it's not fair. When we don't get our way 
has nothing to do with fairness. It has to do with, with wounds to the ego. It has to do with not getting what we want. Very often, when we don't get what we want, it's the most fair thing that can possibly happen. It's what's the quote? I think it was from Ice Cube that I saw this the other day. It says, don't complain about the result that you didn't get from the work that you didn't put in. If you're not willing to do the work on yourself to be able to control yourself, you have no right to complain about how how you respond or how you react rather when your kid is doing something that pushes buttons of yours. You have to have that sense of fairness. What is fair is logical or natural consequences when I'm dealing with my son. So for example, kids getting ready to throw something, a toy, something that he, that he values. But if he throws it and it hits the wall or hits the floor, it's going to break. Let him know ahead of time. If you throw that and it breaks, it will be broken. And that will be a decision and a choice that you made in this moment. So just know these are the consequences of that. <clears throat> and that's all there is to it. If he breaks his own toy, it's his toy. He can break it. But I spent money on it. Shut up. It's his. If you spent money on it and you gave it to him, it's his. And he can do with it whatever he wants to. If he wants to joyfully, gleefully break it into a thousand pieces, it's his decision to make. Now, I know I said earlier the thing about logic and reasoning and all that. He's not logically playing that out. But if he destroys his toy, then he starts to understand a logical conclusion can be made that if I break my stuff and it gets broken, it goes away. There's not a whole lot of reasoning that has to go into that after a couple of experiences with it. That's what fairness is. Fairness isn't you made me mad, so I'm going to punish you. Right. Uh the next one, definiteness of plans or what I like to call the internal code. I plan and and know how in any given situation I'm going to respond ahead of time. That takes a lot of work to sit down and be like, okay, what are my triggers? What are my strengths? How can I strengthen my strengths and strengthen my, my use my strengths and strengthen my triggers and, and do everything that has to be done so that I can interact with my son in a loving, positive way, no matter what the situation is even if I'm upset by it, even if I'm experiencing unwanted emotions. It's still up to me to act in a different way. That's where the cycle breaks. The cycle breaks at the moment I decide not to follow through on these emotions and in, in the way that I might want to or that I might feel like or that I may be conditioned to, but to follow through in the way that I said I was going to. You know, you hear a lot of these uh, fitness guru uh, wannabe uh, personal development guys talking about getting up early in the morning. And that's great. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's working for you. It's fantastic. One thing that I absolutely agree with on that is that if I tell myself I'm going to get up at five in the morning and go to the gym and I don't, I have lied to myself. It's self-perjury. And if I do that, then I can't trust myself. And the, the more I, the more I repeat that pattern, the less I trust myself and the less value and the less impact my words have to me. And if I don't trust myself, I cannot expect anyone else to, right? So by writing that internal code in such a way that my definiteness of purpose says that I'm going to get up in the morning and go to the gym, or when my son's having a hard time, I'm going to be there for him and I'm going to help him co-regulate. I'm going to remind him that he can breathe. And I've got all this um, um, tactical stuff that supports the principles. I've got all these methods that support the principles so that in any given situation, I have the toolbox and I have the objective. Now it's just up to me to stay clear enough and stay definite enough to act in such a way that I'm able to get it done. Uh, the next one on here is what I call the law of increase. And this this could be arguably put into the number one spot because it really is the underscoring 
uh, guiding principle of everything here. Um, simply put, I decided as part of my internal code, my definiteness of plans, the way that that I have decided I'm going to conduct myself is that a personal objective of mine is that not only every single day, but in every single interaction that I'm having with my son, I'm going to do everything that I can to find a way to make it so that he emerges somehow better off than he was before that interaction. And that can be a huge, huge thing. And that can be a smaller thing. I'll talk more about that in another video. I've talked about it multiple times before. Like I said, I want to give the overview on this today, but applying the law of increase to being a dad means that I am constantly looking for a way to find um, the good in the situation and to help my son grow and mature and develop as a result of that. Uh, number seven is um, Napoleon Hill called it a pleasing personality. Um, the way I interpret that for fatherhood, it means just don't be a dick. Don't it's it's being compassionate and showing empathy and showing caring and meeting the kid where he is rather than being the iron-fisted disciplinarian because I said so lazy dad who just didn't put any thought into it. I'm just reacting, right? Um, the next characteristic is sympathy and understanding, which is intimately tied to the others. I have to understand that your brain is not developed to the place that mine is as an adult. And I have to understand that the best way to communicate with you is not to try to force you to see my point of view, but to get on the level that you're at, see where you are from your point of view, and then communicate with you in that same language. Um, mastery of detail is one that uh, Hill talks about. To me, for applying that to fatherhood, that means doing things consistently. It's consistency. It means that if I show up today and my son is at the end of his TV time and he wants to watch a little bit more and I say, nope, not today, and we cut it off, and then tomorrow I'm having a different kind of day, I'm in a different mood, we get to the end of his allotted amount of TV time, and he says, I want to watch a little bit more, and I say, oh, too tired to fool with this. Yeah, go ahead. It's fine. I'm being inconsistent. And he's suffering as a result of it. And what I'm showing him is that I can't be trusted. So attention to those kind of details, mastery of that kind of stuff is vital. Um, assumption of responsibility. When we get metaphysical and we talk about Neville Goddard and we talk about uh, we talk about everyone as yourself pushed out, or when we talk about um, um, Wallace Waddles and the thinking stuff from which all things are made, we're all part of of the same thing. Uh, what's the quote I heard the other day? Want to say. I forget where it came from, but essentially, I am the universe expressing itself as me. I think that's a beautiful way to think about it. That means that whatever's going on, it's up to me. My interpretation of it is based on my thoughts, my internal code, and how I choose to look at things. So it's the thing about if, if you get up in the morning and you go about your day, and at some point during the day, you run across someone who's an asshole, maybe you ran into an asshole. If you get up in the morning and you go about your day and you run into 15 different people and all of them are assholes, guess who the asshole really is? You have to own that responsibility. You have to assume that responsibility, right? Um, cooperation is the 11th one. And that means I'm, I'm cooperating with my family, that we are all on the same page, that we are not fighting against each other. We are united for the cause of helping my son develop or bettering the family in some way. It is cooperation with the laws of the universe that that I'll talk at length about in other videos, I'm sure. But like the way that the universe actually works, 
Um, for example, as within, so without. However, I'm thinking about things is how I tend to express myself. And it tends to be what comes back to me in my experience. Um, and then, of course, the internal code. Am I in cooperation with the the laws that I wrote down for myself and the way that I have determined I'm going to live my life? If I'm not in cooperation with that, I'm not in harmony with that. So it, it's about being harmonious with who I say that I want to be. Those are the 11 attributes, major attributes of successful leaders applied to being a father. I'm going to real quick go through the major causes of failure, and then we're going to wrap this thing up today. If you want to know more about this, you want to know more about the Advanced Demand Project and the coaching that's involved with that, there's a link in the um, the description of this YouTube video. And if you're watching this somewhere besides YouTube, you can go to the YouTube and it will be in the description. You can click on that and you can book a call with me and we can sit down, talk about whether it makes sense for you to be a part of the program. Um, talk about if we're a good fit and we can go from there. Also, if you're not interested in the Advancing Man Project, but you are familiar with the stuff that I do in Superhuman You Coaching, that's not strictly for dads. That's for anyone who wants to uh, improve their life and and attain a level of self-mastery that you don't already have. So um, that link will be down there as well. Um, all right. So now we're going to wrap this up with the 10 major causes of failure. Uh, the first one is inconsistency of belief goal, action, and identity. If you believe one thing, you have a goal that is contrary to that, you act different to either one of those, and your identity says that you're a different person and all that, you're just a whirling mess of chaos. You're never going to get anywhere. Um, the second one is the unwillingness, because we're all able, it's not an, un, an, an inability, it's the unwillingness to address your own internal code and to change it if it needs to be changed so that you can become who you want to be. Uh, and the third one is expectation of obedience or respect from a child without giving the same to the child and a refusal to learn about child development process. I talked about that earlier. Um, the fourth one is fear, which means that you are afraid of uh, uh, or that you let fear control your life. And part of this has to do with comparing yourself to others. Well, that works for you, Dave, this this compassionate authority gentle parenting thing that works for you and that works for your kid but kids are all different and my kid needs something different my kid only responds if i yell at him or smack him around stop it you're afraid you're afraid to let go of your own identity that says that's the way things have to be and embrace new information for the betterment of your child that's weak son that is just weak um, lack of imagination and vision that's related in uh, to that same thing i was just talking about if you can't see yourself being happy, being strong, being compassionate, expressing empathy and compassion, then then you never will. Any lack of imagination or vision, because what we imagine in our mind is who we and what we experience, who we become and what we experience. Um, selfishness is one of the ones that Hill talked about. And I thought a lot about that. How does that apply to being a dad? Well, the short version is remaining locked into a state of willful ignorance. I've had conversations with with men before about, you know, the the stuff that I've been talking about this whole time. And I will ask them, well, what what books on child brain development have you read or what podcasts have you listened to or what uh, what information have you consumed around child development and parenting styles? and all that? I don't need to know any of that stuff. I wasn't raised with all that and I turned out fine. But did you? Did you? Um. Intemperance, that is addiction to substances, that's addiction to work, that's addiction to video games, that's addiction to porn, that's addiction to negative emotions, that is being so uncomfortable with being happy that you will get angry about it. 
Um, disloyalty and honesty, that's the eighth one, uh, lying or trying to manipulate. I have seen so many examples of being dishonest with a child just to get them to to cooperate. It's a kind of coercion, right? And like, um, um, daddy, can I have some ice cream? No, we're out of ice cream. When there's a full thing of ice cream in the refrigerator, it's just hidden, right? It's being deceptive. And if you expect your children to be honest with you, doesn't it make sense that you ought to be honest with them? Well, it's just about ice cream. Shut up. No, it's it's another example is uh, we're, we're going to a restaurant and kids under six eat free. And I got a seven year old, but we're going to tell everybody he's six. You're lying. You're lying to save like like eight bucks on a buffet. Stop it. Um, number nine, the emphasis on authority, the emphasis on the position of, well, I'm the daddy and I said so. That is like one of the laziest things that you can possibly come with. OK, you said so, but why? What's your rationale behind it? Well, I just said so. I don't have to give you an explanation. Okay. Eventually, your kids are going to deserve or they're going to want an explanation. And early on, they need it. They deserve it. Because I said so, it's just lazy. It means you're not putting any thought into it, right? And then the final one is an unwillingness to entertain new information that conflicts with my own internal tradition. Again, that's part of a, of a, the willful ignorance, right? But I'm not willing to entertain any new idea. Um, don't tell me anything about it. I don't need to know anything else about this subject that I don't know anything about. I've got my mind made up. Um, this, this popped up in a, in a group on social media, not too long ago, uh, regarding gentle parenting. There was a, a dad who was in there. who was just railing on that's what's wrong with this generation. Gentle parenting's bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, do you even know what those words mean? No, you don't. I can tell you don't, because if you did, you wouldn't say that. It, it, it this was a person who was confusing the the practice of gentle parenting and the very real existence of something called permissive parenting, which is where no boundaries are set. The kid's in control of everything, but the kid can't even control himself. So no one's in control of anything. And the parents are at a loss as to what to do because they don't want to be it's the, it's the the swinging of the pendulum too far in the other direction away from the iron fisted discipline disciplinarian. So um, entertaining new information means growing mentally as an adult, and it's vitally important. All right. That's all the stuff that I got for you today. Um, I'm sure I will come back and talk about these attributes at length in more detail at some point. Thank you so much for spending time with me again. Click the links down below if you want to book a call or anything else that's involved in the links down there. I'm not even sure what I'm going to put on there yet. Um, if you haven't liked and followed and subscribed and all that, please do. You are awesome. Thank you and be strong.